0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, The Wall That Heals. A replica of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial will be on display in Findlay this week. We have details on the exhibit and commemorations planned through the weekend. Also this morning, could the leak of that Supreme Court draft ostensibly overturning Roe v. Wade be as consequential as the ruling itself? We'll ask our go-to legal expert. We have details on events for the month of May at the Hancock Historical Museum. Sarah Sisser will tell us what's happening. And are you stumped on a gift for Mother's Day? We have ideas that mom is sure to love. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Not only is it Cinco de Mayo which is the first thing that immediately everybody thinks about on the 5th of May. It's Cinco to Mayo. It's time to party. It is also Cartoonists Day, Museum Lovers Day, Nail Day, National Hoagie Day, International Midwives Day, uh, Oyster Day. It is Revenge of the Fifth Day, which is another play on the whole Star Wars thing. Is May the 4th be with you. And then Revenge of the Fifth, a uh, play on Revenge of the Sith. I think that may be taking it a little too. But I'll give you May the 4th be with you. But uh, Revenge of the Fifth, eh. Uh, and it is the National Day of Prayer today. Events being held across the country for the uh, annual National Day of Prayer observance established by President Truman back in the day. The event was a response Uh, was in response to a call from legendary evangelist Billy Graham from the steps of the U.S. Capitol Building imploring the President and Congress to establish a National Day of Prayer. President Reagan later approved an amendment from Congress setting aside the first Thursday in May as America's National Day of Prayer. The President required by law to sign a proclamation each year encouraging all Americans to pray today. So not a national holiday. I don't think that they could go that far uh, without running uh, afoul of uh, maybe some constitutional issues and the establishment clause and all of that but uh, today designated the national day of prayer nonetheless Uh, so it looks like another covid surge uh, could be on its way the cdc is predicting that 42 states will see a rise in hospital patients over the next two weeks a rise in hospital admissions in the next two weeks just when you thought we uh, might be done with this. Here comes the prediction from the CDC. 42 cents. Daily admissions have already jumped by 20%. And what's more, the CDC expects another 5,000 people to uh, to die of the coronavirus before the end of this month. We'll be close to a million deaths attributed to COVID-19. And uh, as far as this... Uh, jump in hospitalizations they say new york new jersey and ohio will likely see the most cases so prepare yourself and this story i saw speaking of uh, covid uh this story is one that i saw uh the question through the whole pandemic is the cure worse than the disease you know everything that we have done to try and curb the spread of the disease uh which is only marginal results And has the cure been worse than the disease Um, as this is a perfect example, although maybe not a conventional one employees at a COVID-19 testing facility in Sydney, Australia, had to uh, the uh, testing facility had to close after a number of red bellied black snakes were spotted at the testing facility. Uh, One snake uh, was seen slithering across the parking lot before Australian snake catchers, I uh, uh, caught it uh, using a wheelbarrow and a hook. Uh, multiple sightings of the snakes are not unusual this time of year. Uh, they said the white, uh, the uh, red-bellied black snakes are venomous, but bites are rare due to the reptile's docile nature. <laughs> they uh, released the uh, snakes back into the wild, far away from the <laughs> COVID-19 testing facility. But it's just an example. Uh, so maybe... Uh, <laughs> The testing is <laughs> is worth uh, the worse the cure is worth than the, worse than the disease. You get the idea of what I'm saying. Uh, let's see. So this is a uh, controversial story. Big headlines uh, about this: a baby in Georgia died after being left in a car while her father was placed under arrest. This is the story. Detective uh, Jeff Manley said, "Snellville Police, Georgia." We're not aware that uh, David Watley left his eight-month-old daughter in the car. He arrived at the police station to uh, pick up a confiscated firearm. He was going to reclaim his firearm that had been uh, confiscated. Uh, he was placed under arrest, though, and he, didn't, he went to get his, his gun back that had been confiscated. And it turned out he had a, a warrant for a probation violation. And uh, so when police checked his ID, they discovered the warrant and they placed him under arrest. Um, obviously, he didn't expect that. And his daughter was in the car because he figured he was just running, running in to claim his firearm and he would be back out on his way. He left his daughter in the car. Now, not the smartest thing to do in the first place, but that mistake was compounded when nobody checked his car uh, after police uh, placed him under arrest. Uh, It was uh, hours later, seven hours later, that the little girl's grandmother uh, found the baby in the car, and unfortunately, uh, she had perished. Uh, Police said that Mr. Watley has been charged with second-degree murder in the case, but A lot of folks asking, why did the police not check? They say he didn't say anything about having his daughter in the car. Uh, Of course, the family says he did. So it's a he said, he said sort of thing. But I can see this would lead to a change in policy. And I'm kind of surprised this doesn't happen already. Uh, In this type of a situation, you would think that you would check on the vehicle that the suspect drove to the police station. Presumably he drove to the police station. You don't want to check the vehicle to make sure that it was secured and and so on, just to prevent something. I can see this resulting in a major change uh in policy. And uh not just at the Snellville Police Department, but I would imagine all across the country they're gonna look at at this and say, hmm, we need to maybe make a uh policy change on this. Make sure that that doesn't happen again. So simple. I mean it could have been prevented so simply and so a tragic story all the way around. A couple of other uh, interesting stories, the most uh, buzzworthy stories to uh, start your day. Uh, roller coaster riders at Carowinds, the amusement park in Charlotte, North Carolina, had a rough time of it last week. And uh, Carowinds, by the way, a Cedar Fair uh, property. So same owners, Cedar Point, Kings Island. Carowinds, uh, apparently the Flying Cobras... Um, One of the uh, roller coasters had an unexpected ride stoppage on the lift and uh, the the folks who were on the ride when it came to a stop were stranded for like a half hour. I thought this was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, One writer by the name of Brandon Allen told local news reporters, I personally watched my tears fall from the sky. It was terrifying. Hey, come on. It dropped on a lift hill. I mean, it happens. Uh, the uh, park said nobody was in danger. The safety mechanisms worked as they were supposed to. But he's out there saying, I personally watched my tears fall from the sky. It was terrifying. Spoken like a guy who plans on suing. You know what I mean? That was the first thing I thought uh, on that uh, on that quote. Uh, now, he did point out, and, and he did make the, uh, make the point, and, and this is a, a, a good point, it might not have been particularly terrifying for many of the people Uh, on the uh, on the ride but what if you you were a parent and your kids are behind you on the uh, on the ride you can't see them you can't get to them uh they're probably crying they're panicking and you can't really do anything so it would have been uh much more traumatic i think uh in that scenario but i just his quote my tears were falling from the sky somebody's gonna get sued anyway um And uh, this, I thought, was kind of an interesting uh, story here. Uh, In Orlando, Florida, a pizza restaurant in Orlando has officially banned unaccompanied minors from dining at their establishment. In a Facebook post this past weekend, the restaurant uh, said, Being across the street from a local high school, we have offered students lunch specials and welcomed guests of all ages For more than a decade, however, after continuously disturbing our guests, disrespecting staff, and causing general disorder, we have made the difficult decision to no longer permit guests under the age of 18 unless accompanied by an adult. We can no longer act like a daycare, student lounge, or student cafeteria uh, each and every day. As said, there have been a number of uh, bad interactions between students. And other patrons at the restaurant, the co-owner, uh, Maria Menchia, says, ultimately, we had to pick between catering to high schoolers or catering to adults. And obviously, we chose the adults who are not going to be re- disrespectful and are not going to cuss us out. And uh, I, I read that story. I thought it was interesting because uh, just a few days ago, my wife and I uh, went to one of the fast food restaurants uh there by the by the high school and it was lunchtime and there were some students uh in there and and not to paint all students with this kind of brush but they were being rather i would say disrespectful uh, given the fact that there were other families and young children around some of the language that they were using they were being very loud and it was you know you kind of try and ignore it as much as you can. But there are some students, certainly, that are uh, very disrespectful. This uh, restaurant in Orlando uh, deciding they're not going to allow kids uh, in, you know, it's like I said, it's certainly you don't paint all students with the same brush. But it's another case of, you know, the vocal few ruining it for everyone. Just something to think about there. And I'm sure other folks have had similar uh, experiences and can certainly relate to that story. That's kind of interesting. And how about this? Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, you remember the other day we were talking about um, the company that is uh, starting, uh, wants to mainstream the idea of space tourism. SpaceX took uh, the first space tourists to the International Space Station uh, last month. And uh, now this company wants to mainstream space tourism. NASA is planning to put humans back on the moon uh, here uh, before the decade is out. They're talking about maybe colonizing the moon and so on. And all of this brings up the question, what do you do when people misbehave in space? Officials in Canada want to amend the con- that that country's criminal code to include... Space crimes. This is according to a report in CNET, the country's newly proposed code outlined in a new bill says a Canadian crew member who during a space flight commits an act or omission outside Canada that if committed in Canada would constitute an indictable offense is deemed to have committed that act or omission in Canada. Basically, and uh, specifically, the rule would aclar- apply to crimes committed on or in relation to a flight element of the lunar gateway on any means of transportation to or from the lunar gateway or on the surface of the moon. To put it another way, in layman's terms, moon explorers from Canada have to be on their best behavior or they could be charged with a crime when they return to Earth. You know, this is one of those things, has anybody even thought about this before? But you gotta think, what are you gonna do if we colonize the moon, if we have space tourism, somebody is gonna misbehave. So you have to have the, uh, the law has to catch up with that.
1: That's kind of interesting.
0: There you go, some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started.
1: (laughs) WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly cloudy skies today with a high of 66. Showers will move in late tonight and continue through the day tomorrow. The National Weather Service says a tornado was on the ground for seven miles a little southwest of Finley as severe weather blew through the area on Tuesday. The twister touched down near Rawson. It damaged a couple of barns and snapped at trees and power poles. The tornado had winds of 80 miles per hour and was on the ground for about 10 minutes, lifting back into the clouds near the Finley Airport. And we have some pictures and video of the storm damage on the website. A charity hockey game will be played to honor the life and sacrifice Bluffton Police Officer Dominic Francis, who was killed in the line of duty in March. The Officer Dominic Francis Memorial Classic will be played on Friday at the Cube Ice Arena. The event's being put on by the Hockey Helping Heroes initiative of the First Responder Face-Off Foundation. Proceeds from the game will benefit the officer's family. Ohio U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown has introduced the Neighborhood Trees Act.
2: Brown says the legislation is aimed at planting more trees in urban areas to promote climate, health, and economic benefits for residents.
3: Urban neighborhoods with more more residents of color have a third less tree canopy than other majority white neighborhoods. Low-income neighborhoods have 41% less tree cover than wealthy neighborhoods.
2: Cleveland would be the top recipient in Ohio with a projected $10 million annually to increase its urban tree canopy. Kate Burdett, ONN News.
1: The Ohio High School Athletic Association is putting to a vote whether high school athletes should be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Finley High School Athletic Director Nate Weirau says NIL has changed the landscape of college athletics, and now we're seeing the trickle down into high school sports.
3: On one hand, is it a threat to amateurism as we know it? Could you be opening Pandora's box, so to speak? Could this be the start to the end of education-based athletics as we know it? Or simply, do you vote yes to get out in front of what is likely and inevitable?
1: Nate says Finley City Schools administrators will be discussing the NIL issue this week. There are more than 800 high schools in Ohio, and each school gets one vote. The online voting goes until May 16th. Get more news online at WFIN.com. Matt Demcheck for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM.
0: story this morning. We have a studio full of folks uh, here uh, today to tell us more about the wall that heals. It is a replica of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial that is going to be on display in Findlay. Uh, public display beginning later this week. Get details on the or later on, on today, I should say and uh, through the rest of the week and into the weekend. Get some details on the exhibit itself and some of the commemorations that are planned uh, surrounding that display. you are joined by uh, Ben Saldana, uh, Jim Knotts, Josh Davis, Scott Sterling, and uh, just going to throw this out here uh, first of all. Well, Jim, let me start with you because uh, you're the uh, the wall I- itself. Uh, you go all over the country. You came here from uh,
2: Delaware, I believe, right? That's correct. I'm with the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund. Mm -hmm. We're the nonprofit organization that built and dedicated the memorial in Washington, D.C. in 1982. And since 1996, we've had a replica of the wall that we take to communities around the country like this. Mm -hmm. We usually go to about 32, 33 communities a year and for us, it's such an honor because we look at this as our opportunity to bring the names home right. from these communities from mm-hmm. where they came.
0: And it is more than just the wall itself, as I understand it. I mean, there's, uh, there are other things that kind of go along with this that drive home the point of why this is such a... Uh, important and uh, moving experience for
2: it is uh we have a, a three-quarter scale replica so you mm-hmm. you come out to owens community college and you're going to see it there and it is huge yeah um but we also have the trailer that everything travels in right it has exhibits in the sides and becomes a mobile education center where mm-hmm. you get a sense of what it might have been like to serve in Vietnam, mm-hmm. idea of some of the kinds of amazing things that have been left at the wall over the last 40 years.
0: I, which is amazing because <coughs> I, I've been to the wall a couple of times and you see the things that are left and you wonder yeah. what happens to those. And
2: well, they generally are picked up by the volunteers who mm-hmm. work there and they make their way to the National Park Service and they have an archive facility wow. right outside of Washington, D.C. So you
0: have some of those uh, things we on do. display as well. We have
2: lots of those kinds of it- yeah. the items. Um, But I think the most important thing that uh, this exhibit brings is it brings Vietnam veterans like Ben here from your community out. Mm -hmm. And it gives everybody in your community an opportunity to meet them, to talk to them, to say thank you. And most importantly, to say, welcome home yeah. in a way that many of them were not welcomed when they first arrived back in the States. Yeah, Ben,
0: talk about how uh, significant this is uh, to you. What does this mean to you? Help us understand why the wall is so meaningful for uh, folks such as yourself who served in, in Vietnam.
2: Well, a lot of people need to know that a lot of people sacrificed a lot to yeah. be there. And yeah, this is a big... Um, remembrance of what or who they were and everything and
0: and that holds pretty true. emotional to to attend yeah e- and that because holds there true are people
2: on that their names on that wall that
0: mm-hmm. yeah
2: i know we know yeah
0: so a- and and that holds true even though this is not the original this is a replica knowing that it's still it's
2: very significant yeah, yeah. it's 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 awesome it's
0: yeah <laughs> um Josh and Scott, uh, with the uh, uh, local uh, Am vets, right? Uh, we we're helping to uh, bring this uh, to uh, to Finley. Talk a little bit about how all of this uh, came about, because this is the only the walls only stop in Ohio uh, right. this year. Yeah.
4: Well, we started the project in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were approved for it for 2020, and then our lovely COVID hit <laughs> Yeah, Dennis. we know what happened then. <laughs> and I chose to push it back a couple years just due to the fact of I wanted to make sure the COVID was slowing down very well. Right. Because we're targeting our Vietnam veterans that are getting up there in age. Sure. And, you know, I want to keep everybody healthy as we can just, to enjoy enjoy the the moment
0: yeah and uh thanks especially to uh, owens for uh hosting uh the the wall uh it's a great location uh for the uh, display
4: yes it is, uh turned out to be a very beautiful place to set the wall up mm-hmm. and they've been more than willing to help and yeah, it's been phenomenal.
0: There are uh, a couple of uh, of things, special ceremonies that you're doing uh, over the course of the weekend uh, to uh, not only I mean, it's the public display of the wall will be 24 hours a day beginning later this afternoon, right? But then there are a couple of other uh, special things.
2: Yeah, there are some special events throughout the week, and uh, Josh is going to talk about those. But the the exhibit is already open. We completed the erection of the wall and the the exhibit yesterday, so it is now open 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. until Sunday at 2 p.m. Okay. So come on out today. It's going to be great weather. Yeah. Come out tomorrow when it's raining and see the wall in that environment. It really is amazing to experience Yeah, don't let the weather keep you away. Yeah, don't let the weather keep you away, and then come back at night because Mm -hmm. the lighting we have on it is just phenomenal. Yeah. And you'll see that with the events that we have planned throughout the week.
0: So uh, the first one is later this afternoon, right? Yes, at
4: 4.30. It's our welcome home ceremony, and we have uh, a few guest speakers coming out, and it'll be a short. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so kind of
0: the, like the unofficial grand opening kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got a couple of other things. There. Saturday at noon,
4: we have a POW MIA ceremony. And I want to tell everybody, if you have not seen a POW MIA ceremony, it is very moving. It's I see it as much as I can, just like I do the wall. And it's mm-hmm. it, it's heartfelt. Yeah. And then Sunday at 1:50, we're going to have uh, our closing with the honor guard coming out and all that, and
0: showing um, sh- showing the reverence that you would expect yes, for
4: uh, you know for something like we're going to retire those. colors and all that. Yeah. Just send the guys off back to their next destination.
0: You know, as uh, as Jim was mentioning, uh, this is something that is great for the entire family uh, to. Uh, to experience uh especially if you haven't seen the the wall itself in in dc um but a really good opportunity to teach new generation about what this conflict was all about
4: yes yes it is uh they they give us a a tour more or less mm-hmm. uh if there's a group of people that come out and would like to have a tour they will give you a tour and they explain from beginning to end different names on the wall that i mean i've seen it multiple times and i've learned different things every time i've seen the wall because yeah. everybody gives a speech and the two are differently and it's phenomenal yeah
0: um, again, it is uh, open round the clock through Sunday afternoon. The uh, closing ceremony will be at one hundred and fifty right before two o 'clock yes uh, is when and then, where does the wall go from here? Just out of curiosity? Well, we were in Delaware last
2: week, mm-hmm. and uh, we 'll
0: be in uh, Belvedere, Illinois uh, next week okay. so again, all across the country, this is the only stop in Ohio, so we encourage folks to uh, swing by and uh, and see this experience this the uh, wall that heals. Uh, on display in Finley this week, and uh, and we have volunteer opportunities.
2: Yes,
4: we 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 are needing some volunteers still. Uh, evening hours, nighttime hours. If you're a night owl and <laughs> would would like to be out, I mean, you'll have some time by yourself to see it.
0: Yeah. Uh, how do folks uh, volunteer uh, locally for that, Scott? They can go on to sign up dot com okay. and go to the Wallet Heals Finley okay they can uh show up
3: <laughs> they, Just say, they I have an hour them. that they
0: can spare we'll yeah. put you to work okay you can show up right out at owens see josh
4: myself or well anybody in a volunteer vest can help you
0: find something to do
2: very good and and it's a it, it's a pretty big task to set up the wall and then also to take it down so starting at two on sunday we definitely will need volunteers
0: to help with yeah, that and and kudos we mentioned to uh, owens but also to all of the uh, volunteers i know the united way helped out uh, providing uh, volunteers and and all of that so everybody uh, yes in.
4: uh united way helped out they sent some uh, volunteers from marathon Hard Northern School uh, came Great over with a uh, bunch of their history students, and them kids Very were spot on. Phenomenal.
2: Yeah. They worked their butts off, (laughs) and we got this set up so smoothly yesterday. That's awesome. Uh, It was great to see the younger folks out there, and I think they learned something uh, as well. Yeah, that's
0: uh, really cool. So kudos to everybody who's uh, helped out making this happen. Again, uh, Ben Saldana, uh, Jim Knotts, Josh Davis, Scott Sterling with The uh, Wall That Heals. We get a link up on our webpage, too. For more information, go to goodmornings.net for that. Gentlemen, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. When I was, I don't know, I guess about 12 years old, I accidentally stumbled across one of the Christmas presents that my parents had hidden in the closet. I wasn't looking for it. I actually accidentally stumbled across it. They tried to explain it away, but no matter what they said, I knew that I was getting a new boombox under the tree. Well, this week's leak of that draft ruling from the Supreme Court that would overturn Roe v. Wade feels much the same way. And now that we've had a couple of days to digest that news, we are joined by one kind of our go-to legal expert on such matters. Dr. Scott Gerber is professor at the Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law, associated scholar with Brown University Political Theory Project. Scott, a lot of ground to cover here. First of all, uh, the fact that this draft was leaked was shocking to court watchers. We've gotten hints. Of how the court may be leaning in previous cases before, but this draft ruling being made public was unprecedented. Were you as shocked as uh, some others seem to be?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I wrote an op-ed about it in the National Law Journal that was published uh, yesterday saying how shocked I was.
0: Yeah. Were you surprised? Let me ask you this, because this actually surprised me too, that Chief Justice Roberts went on the record authenticating it. I mean, he could have said a lot of things in response or just kept his mouth shut, but he actually went on the record authenticating it, which I also was surprised by.
3: Um. Given how uh, much attention the leak had received, uh, I, I wasn't surprised that he hmm. spoke to it in that way. He authenticated it.
0: You mentioned the op-ed uh, that you wrote for the uh, law journal, uh, and and you really had some harsh words at uh, it, it, what this this leak means. Uh, again, it's one of the things that many people are are wondering, is the leak potentially as consequential as the ruling itself? I mean, does this have long-term implications for the court, its reputation, or the way it operates?
3: Uh, yeah, it has enormous uh, implications. As I mentioned in the op-ed, the court's approval rating uh, with the American people had already fallen to uh, a historically low 40%. And this is just going to drive it down even more because the leak was done for partisan reasons. Whether it was done for partisan reasons from by someone on the right or the left is unclear at the moment. But nevertheless, it was, it was designed to influence a result.
0: And you make the argument that this is another example of the politi- uh, politicization of the uh, uh, of the court, which is historically been supposed to have been a nonpartisan uh, branch of government. Although you know we've kind of known for a while that that's not really the case,
3: right? And during the oral arguments in the case, uh, that the opinion is uh, uh, for. Uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said that there's a stench of partisan politics on the court these days, in this case in particular, and I think this proves that she was correct.
0: And again, a lot of legal scholars have been saying, don't take this as the final word, this is, after all, only a draft, the ruling could change, and so on and so forth. But at this point, fair to say that it would be a shock if Roe wasn't overturned based on what we know now? Correct. I, I think this
3: uh, Roe and Casey um, are going to be overruled, and I think we spoke shortly after the oral argument, and I sort of predicted that. And mm-hmm. This is how it's played out, and um, that's an enormous uh, uh, moment in constitutional law and in people's lives.
0: And with respect to that, uh, again, maybe getting ahead of the story a little bit, and I also know that it's a big ask to set one's uh, personal views aside on the topic of abortion because this is uh, a very uh, emotional uh, issue, but that emotion and moral questions aside, this would probably be a solid legal decision. The validity of the basis for the argument that decided Roe v. Wade has long been questioned. Yeah, but
3: it, it's been questioned by some. But R- Roe was 72. to uh, two. When we cover the decision in my constitutional law class, I always remind the students that Roe was seventy-two. It wasn't five to four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the comment by uh, Justice Alito that Roe was just uh, never had any basis in law or fact or whatever. Uh, I think is uh, inappropriate, given that seven of the people that served on the same court before he did uh, agreed with it.
0: Yeah, it it gets to the heart of what may be the biggest constitutional debate uh, of our time. Does the basic right to privacy exist? The framers certainly danced all around it in the language of the Constitution, but the word itself is not there, and that has launched a a thousand legal debates, as you well know. Yeah,
3: and um, I I teach another course in constitutional interpretation, a seminar on that, and uh, there is a right to privacy if you don't take a literal textualist approach to reading the Constitution. If you take one of the other approaches, and I've written about this, you can identify one. And I'll just take one major step here. Um, Alexander Hamilton, uh, when he was arguing against the need for the Bill of Rights in the Federalist Papers, one of his arguments was that the Constitution itself is a Bill of Rights. And what he meant by that is the Constitution and the American regime itself is about liberty. That's what we're about. If you ever ask anyone from other countries or whatever, what one word do you think characterizes America, they say liberty. And so liberty is a a synonym for autonomy, and the privacy cases are about autonomy. They're about autonomy, the right of a person to direct his or her own life, and in this context, the right of a woman to make her own uh, liberty, uh, autonomy, reproductive choices.
0: Yeah, the, what I uh, always go back to is what I learned. Obviously, uh, I'm not as learned in these matters as, as you are, but uh, what I uh, always go back to is the uh, fact that one of the reasons why the Bill of Rights are amendments to the Constitution and not part of the original document itself was the argument by some of the founding fathers that enumerating specific rights would be interpreted by future generations as those rights existing to the ex- exclusion of all others, and it appears that's exactly what's happening in this debate over privacy. In fact, uh, there was uh, there were comments uh, from Supreme Court members saying that to the effect that the that the right to privacy if it's if the word isn't in the Constitution, it doesn't exist, and that just seems wrong somehow.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right on that. One of the other arguments that Hamilton made. In that same essay in the Federalist Papers, and that James Wilson made uh, in the um, in the convention in Philadelphia, uh, was that there are one reason against putting a Bill of Rights in there is that would empower the, the 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 government to think that you had none no other ones, and so when Madison promised to put the Bill of Rights in there, so states would ratify the constitution they put the ninth amendment in there that specifically says mm-hmm. that we that the american people have unenumerated rights unenumerated rights so the rights listed in the first eight bills of rights are not the only ones that yeah. the american people get
0: now uh, again as we go down this rabbit hole uh, that's not to say that Uh, that passes judgment on whether Roe v. Wade was rightly decided or whether abortion is right or wrong. One of the uh, interesting things, I think, and and you kind of uh, alluded to this in the op-ed that we referred to, is that the whole question surrounding uh, abortion has been on the right to privacy, where you uh, seem to indicate that what we really should be focusing on is that question of when does life begin?
3: Right. Uh, as I mentioned in the op-ed in my first book, which is about my theory of constitutional interpretation, abortion was the one uh, question in constitutional law my theory couldn't answer until it was decided when life began. And the reason yeah. for that is, under my theory at least, which is Lockean sort of classical libertarian uh, theory, um, the fundamental law of nature is the preservation of life. And so, if the fetus is deemed alive, then th- that trumps uh, the autonomy interest in the woman. Yeah. But if it's not a life, then the woman has an autonomy right to direct how her body is uh, is treated. So, um, so that should, that's a tough one. It's yeah. a tough
0: one. So that should be the uh, the debate rather than the question over privacy itself. And then, again, removing the emotional and the moral question from this whole case is very difficult. But from a strictly legal standpoint... By extension to this uh, question about privacy and whether that right exists, some have theorized that if Roe v. Wade is overturned on the argument that the right to privacy is not a valid legal argument, that itself sets a precedent that could be used to challenge other rulings on matters of personal privacy. Is that a valid concern in your mind? Could some of those other rights that are rooted in the right to privacy be at risk? Uh,
3: Absolutely, and and Alito in his draft opinion – Tries to say uh, that he's not addressing that, but if you read in between the lines, he is addressing that. Mm. And so what that then brings into play is um, the right to um, the gay rights uh, victories. Right. uh, That community has won in the last 20 or so years. You know, uh, same-sex marriage, that's at risk. A same-sex consensual activity, that's at risk. Mm-hmm. The right to contraceptive, which was Griswold before Roe, that's at risk. Things
0: yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, so, a lot of implications here, some that you can anticipate and some maybe that we can't anticipate. Uh, and everybody's sitting on pins and needles for that final ruling, which will uh, come next month. Again, uh, Dr. Scott Gerber is professor at the Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law, associated scholar at the Brown University Political Theory Project. We referenced that op-ed which we have linked up at our webpage goodmornings.net about this uh, whole case. Dr. Gerber, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. So another month of activities at the Hancock Historical Museum. Sarah Sisser is here with all of the details. And this, first of all, the uh, brown bag lunch lecture that will be going on today is a big one. Uh, Tell us about this.
5: Yeah, we've been looking forward to this one. So today at noon, um, we will have Judge Reginald Routsen. Reg Routson, so many of us know him. Um, talking about the local rock bands that were here in Finley in the 1960s. So this goes alongside the exhibit that we opened in February. um, And that was really with a lot of assistance from Reg as well. Um, He helped us to kind of dig up some of these lost band members. um, And we've done some great oral history, some interviews with some of these band members. um, And we're able to, to uncover a lot of great photographs, of the bands playing at some of the great local music venues that were here in the 1960s. So he'll be talking about that and, I think we should have um, several members of these bands joining us as well. So I'm sure it'll become a little bit of a panel discussion.
0: Is there going to be a jam session? or uh, <laughs> You never
5: know. I've learned you never know with Reg. So. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a good <laughs> that point. That could happen.
0: You know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, it, it's a celebration not just of the bands and the people who made music locally uh, or part of that music scene, but also the places that they played, many of which are no longer around. Right.
5: Unfortunately, most of them are, are no longer here. So I think people have wonderful memories of those venues and just kind of growing up listening to that music mm-hmm. and uh, dances, high school dances, and you know Friday and Saturday nights at those places. And,
0: of course, music is, is the universal language. I mean, we all have so many uh, important memories in our lives that are tied to Associated th- the, with the that music. Song. Yeah, yeah so. I
5: think you're exactly right. And so I've been noticing people... We've had a lot of traffic for this exhibit um, since we opened in February. I've been noticing people uh, dancing a little bit in, in the room when they view the exhibit because you can listen to some of the songs, um, recordings that we have of these bands playing. And it's also become something of a reunion. Frequently on Sundays when guests come in, mm-hmm. um, they'll see people you know they went to high school with in the yeah. in the 60s. So it's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. So uh, one not to be missed, the Brown Bag uh, Lunch Lecture, and that begins at noon, uh, open to all, right? It is
5: open to all. Um, it is $3 if you're not a member of the museum, free if you are. Um, would encourage you, uh, if you can, give us a call yet this morning um, to make just a, a reservation for that. That we are expecting a large crowd for this one, sure. so come a little bit early so you can get yourself a seat.
0: It's going to be a good one. Uh, later this month, we've got another classic movie night coming up. What is the featured film this month?
5: So this month, classic movie night will be on Friday the 20th. It is always free and open to the public, and it will screen at 7 p.m. And this month, we have Laura, which is a 1940s film. It's uh, film noir, um, and so something Great about these classic movie nights is that you learn a lot about the context of the film. So you'll learn a little about a little bit about the genre of film noir and, mm-hmm. and what that meant and um, yeah. the heyday of that.
0: That's really interesting because film noir is kind of like a cinematic experience all its own. You're exactly
5: right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um, we always have discussion beforehand and guided discussion afterwards that you can stick around for. Free refreshments, and again, free and open to the public at 7 p.m. Uh, on Friday the 20th.
0: Okay, so uh, mark that on your calendar. One other thing to mention, and this is not actually happening in the month of May, but you're planning for it, and uh, people want to get their tickets for this, a day trip that you have coming up in June.
5: That's right. So we're fi- we're really excited to be able to finally bring this back. This is something we started several years ago. We call it um, a taste of whatever city we're going to be visiting Um, and these have become extremely popular. We typically sell out. It's a day trip. We get a charter bus to um, a city within driving distance, of course, for the day. Um, We've done Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, Ann Arbor, and Detroit, and this year we're going to Akron. Mm. So I love planning these trips because this is the way I like to travel. I like to just kind of eat my way through the city and learn more (laughs) about the culinary history. Um, And we also focus on the architectural history. So we'll be making some great stops at Stan Hewitt Hall, which is an amazing um, estate. If people haven't been there before, it's sort of like the Biltmore of Ohio. We'll be going there. um, The Goodyear Plant um, we're going to, again, be eating our way through the city, lots of eating throughout the day. Um, we're going to be going to the, bar, one of the Barberton Chicken Halls, which is a whole history in and of itself. And so really, you learn a lot about how the community developed um, with those different influences within their culinary history mm-hmm. and see some beautiful architecture. So they, the trips do fill up fast. This year, our trip is going to be on Wednesday, June 15th. Um, I already have a long list of folks that uh, plan to plan to join us. So if that's something you're interested in, give us a call at the museum uh, or visit our website and we can get you a reservation on the bus.
0: And that, again, is open to everyone. You don't have to be a museum member or anything like that, right? That's correct, that's- but you
5: do get a discounted uh, price for the okay. tour if you are a museum member.
0: Okay, so you can ask about that uh, when you call as well. And again, not necessarily a deadline for that, but obviously seating is limited. So
5: That's right. So our deadline will be the week before the the trip, But I do anticipate that it'll sell out before then. So yeah. definitely give us a call if you're interested
0: sooner rather than later Akron's is a really interesting choice, too, because uh, so many so often we it's in the shadow of Cleveland. And, and, you know, so we don't think of Akron as having its own identity and its own, you know, cultural uh, influences and so on.
5: Yeah, again, I love planning these trips because I learned so much about that city, about that community, and um, I've really enjoyed kind of diving into the history there in Akron. So there will be plenty for us to see and taste.
0: So if you think you know Northeast Ohio, uh, you're likely to learn something new uh, even on this trip as well. So uh, more details on all of these happenings at your website, correct? That's right, HancockHistoricalMuseum.org. Again, uh, Sarah Sisser with the Hancock Historical Museum with us this morning. Sarah, thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Dateline, Belfast, Maine, where police <laughs> didn't uh, really have to search too hard to find uh, their at-large suspect. They were looking for a man who, uh, well, let's see here. The police uh, department, Belfast Police Department, said officers were called to the Admiral Ocean Inn late on Sunday on the report of an an intoxicated man causing a disturbance. Um, upon arrival, they found uh, Philip delude and removed him from the property they also warned him that if he returned he would be arrested uh well apparently that meant nothing to mr delude because when a sergeant returned to check the parking lot of the inn they found that he was sitting in a chair hiding under a blanket (laughs) uh He uh, was taken into custody, charged with criminal trespass and violation of bail conditions. (laughs) Wondering the whole time, how'd they find me? (laughs) Sitting in a chair, hiding under a blanket. A master disguise. (laughs) You would think, but it didn't work. Uh, As in the broken news. Uh, Massachusetts family thought they were doing a good deed when they rescued a lost puppy from a busy roadway. But it didn't take long before they began to suspect that it might not have been a puppy after all. It turns out it was not a dog at all. It was a Baby Eastern Coyote. (laughs) They they did a good deed. I mean, rescuing this uh, this orphan coyote from the uh, middle of the road. So it's a nice thing to do, but it's not something you really want to take home and and raise as a pet. They contacted the uh, Cape Wildlife Center uh, there in uh, Massachusetts who confirmed that it was, in fact, a coyote. Uh, The pup, uh, fortunately, tested negative for rabies, is going to be with other orphaned coyotes. Uh, They took it off the family's hands. It's going to be with other orphaned coyotes until they can be safely released back into the wild. (laughs) Oops. Uh, You know, guys, I don't know that this is a puppy. (laughs) Uh, Three students. This is just crazy. Three students in Michigan are under investigation for posing as a 35-year-old woman online and trying to blackmail a teacher they tricked into sending them racy photos the uh, teacher sent a sexually explicit photo uh to the uh, teenagers without knowing that they were not the 35 year old woman they were pretending to be when we have these catfishing type stories isn't it usually uh a, a adults who are posing as children to get their hands on inappropriate photos in this case it was the uh, other way around the students threatened to send the photo to others Uh, The Van Buren County Sheriff's Office, uh, Van Buren County, Michigan, says it went on for about a week um, trying to blackmail this teacher to to keep the photos under wraps before uh, they were called in on the case this past Monday. Wow. I think that teacher has some splaining to do. But then again, so do the kids. By the way, speaking of uh, teachers uh, behaving questionably, uh, teachers known to confiscate items that cause distraction in the classroom, right? Um, ask any kid if they've ever been told to put away their cell phone or it would be confiscated. Many kids have had phones confiscated. But it seems this teacher uh, overstepped uh, overstepped the boundaries a little bit. Parent um, posted on, and I'm not sure exactly where this is. Uh, it was an online story. It was posted on the bulletin board Reddit uh, claiming that her 15-year-old daughter's teacher had confiscated the child's phone during class and held on to it for an entire week, mom writes that when she went to the school to confront the teacher, after a brief uncomfortable conversation, the teacher finally returned the phone. But two things were wrong. Number one, the screen was cracked, and they said it wasn't before. And number two, uh, she had to relog in uh to her Apple ID which uh, she thought was odd she then looked at her account settings and saw a second Apple ID with the teacher's full name and avatar apparently <laughs> uh the explanation is that the teacher had been actually using the phone um as as her own um she has uh, taken the case to school administrators uh and no word on how this whole thing is being resolved but the teacher decided hey i got a free phone <clears throat> that's not how that's supposed to work <clears throat> that's a teacher that could have some explaining to do for sure and finally in the broken news this morning a piece of property at the lost and found at the salt lake city international airport has finally been claimed after nearly a year uh, of being abandoned A taxidermy rat has been returned to its rightful owner after she recognized it in a TV news report. Carrie Polson says she returned to Utah from New York in August after attending a taxidermy class and and was dismayed when she arrived home and realized she'd lost her stuffed rat. (laughs) Well, if you're going to have a taxidermy class in New York, I guess what else would you stuff? But plenty of rats in new york um she actually thought she had left the uh, stuffed animal in a uh, rideshare uh car so she didn't think to check the lost and found at the airport uh but that's where it was the rat was in good hands at the lost and found as it turned out as the supervisor there noted that workers had dubbed the rat stewart and adopted it as their office mascot <laughs> they'd buy it hats they'd dress it up the whole thing <laughs> Uh, Ms. Polson said she was delighted to be reunited with her taxidermy rat, which she says the lost and found staff kept in very good condition. It's <laughs> just all kinds of weird. That's all kinds of weird on a number of different levels. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. I found this interesting because I think uh, that this number is uh, really low. I was surprised. A new poll of 2,000 adults find that the average American has packed up all of their stuff and moved, changed residences five separate times during their life. Five. Five. Uh, I was counting mine up, and I'm easily up around a dozen times. Now, of course, I'm in a profession where you do tend to move around uh, quite a bit, and some people are less likely to do that. Uh, But breaking down the numbers, 11% say they have moved fewer than two times in their lifetime. 23% have moved seven or more times. About one-third, 34%, say they consider themselves to be Uh, prepared labelers, (laughs) meaning they're the type that organize and plan out their packing well in advance when they do move, uh, about one quarter, 24% identify as panic packers. Someone who waits until the last minute to prepare for their move and, uh, lacks organization overall. Um, some of the experts who have moved a lot of times say, uh, if you allow yourself enough time you prevent becoming overwhelmed with the moving process but uh 24% one in four uh basically say no that's not us um i just thought that was rather uh, interesting uh the uh, majority say five times on average they have uh, they have moved i just wonder if that's five times in their adult lifetime because uh i'm thinking of all of the times that that i have moved over the years and uh it's way more. I would be in that uh, seven or more times uh, for sure. But Kind of interesting uh, stuff there. Today's daily download. Of course, Mother's Day is right around the corner. And uh, so we get some ideas on unique and thoughtful Mother's Day gifts for every type of mom. TV personality, entrepreneur, and mom, Heather Thompson, is with us. On the line this morning, and where do you suggest that we start when choosing a gift for mom, Heather?
6: Where to begin, Chris, right? Well, thanks for having me. If you love a gift that spruces up mom's self-care but also gives back, Olay Bodies got you covered. They are focused on making a difference for moms this season with Partnering by partnering with a charity called Every Mother Counts. It's a nonprofit dedicated to making pregnancy and childbirth safe, equitable, and respectful for all women. So from April 30th to May 27th, if you go to a Walmart for every bottle of Olay body wash, body lotion, and hand wash with collagen purchased at that Walmart, a dollar will be donated to Every Mother Counts. Hmm. So Old Body is dedicated to up to a hundred thousand dollars toward every mother counts, and you know Olay is developed by a diverse team of skin scientists, and that collagen hydrates our skin with plumping moisture. So spruce up mom's self-care, but also let her know you're giving back. This is also a nice little gift for the young ones to give her.
0: Yeah, and I I know moms everywhere will appreciate uh, that and and the giving back aspect of it, too. So that is a a terrific idea. Uh, You also have some great picks for mothers gifts that she will actually use because i think we've all done that we've gotten a gift from mom that uh she's oh thank you very much and then it sits in a drawer somewhere and <laughs> it is never used you've got a way to fix that
6: i got some function going on here for you chris i'm going to start with keurig we all know keurig for their k cup pods and their easy brewing well they just got better because they just launched their k supreme plus smart brewer. And what that does is it has a brew ID technology, which actually recognizes the K cup pod you select. Mm. And then it adjusts the settings to deliver a brew exactly as the roaster intended. Uh-huh. So if, yeah. So if like pumpkin spice is your flavor or French vanilla, they use this multi-stream technology that saturates the grounds perfectly. So you can personalize the perfect comp by your strength. By your temperature settings, Chris, no more hot cups of coffee that are going to burn our mouth. And of course, the size. And they also have an auto delivery. It's called smart auto delivery, which is consumption based. So it actually tracks the coffee you're drinking and you and perfectly stocks your selection back up when you need it.
0: Wow, that is uh, some pretty impressive technology. And speaking of which, along those same lines, you also have a gift idea for the tech-savvy mom.
6: Yes, or the mom that loves her TV, but tech is just not her thing. Roku, yeah, because Roku is the one. What separates Roku from other streamers is their user-friendly interface. So Roku has just developed what they're calling their streaming stick. It is fast. It is powerful. But, Chris, it's portable. It's literally a tiny little sleek design that plugs into any smart TV. It's like a stick, like a memory stick, Mm -hmm. just a little longer. And there is a massive selection of free, live, and premium TV, including Roku Originals. So they just put out a new series called Swimming with Sharks with Diane Kruger. That's on my watch list. So it's only on the Roku channel, though. So you can control your Roku smart stick with your voice. Or you can control it with the the uh, remote that's included. But you're getting smooth streaming. It's got long range Wi-Fi receiver, and it's two times faster than before in terms of Wi-Fi Wi-Fi speed. So that's at Roku.com, and right now they're offering a special on it. Normally $49.99. Go to Roku.com today, and it's just $39.99. This is great for summer vacation rentals, Mm -hmm. for a mom who's on the go a lot, or for someone who just wants the ease of user-friendly interface. The Roku Streaming Stick is here for you.
0: It is an absolute must uh, for any cord cutters. You cannot be a streamer without Roku. Uh, So good to go for Mom's Day. A TV personality, entrepreneur, mom herself, Heather Thompson with us this morning. Heather, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
6: It's all my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Coming up tomorrow, as we wrap up the week, one aspect of our culture that was likely forever changed by the pandemic is the traditions that go along with marriage closer look at the modern post-covid trends among couples who are tying the knot until tomorrow morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning go on out and make it a good day we'll catch you back here tomorrow